0: Okay, let's get to it. This is Luke chapter number 13. And wow, what a passage, what a passage it is. But before we get there, I have to begin with a preparatory verse that helps set up the entire series. This verse was written, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse one, a thousand years before Jesus ever came. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse one. And the verse, I believe, tells a general truth, but I believe also points to Jesus Christ. The verse says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The conscience of a man who has lived a wicked life, the conscience of a woman who has lived a wicked life, I know this because I myself am a man who has lived a wicked life, feels as if there's some sort of judgment impending upon them at any moment. Do you ever wonder why our society is fascinated by dystopian concepts of what the end of the world is gonna be like? It's because there's our conscience inside of us. Something is telling us somebody's gonna come and get us for what we've done. The wicked flee, even though nobody's coming after them. They're scared to death. Their courage is gone, filled with insecurity and lack of confidence. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's pray. Father, today we want to study Jesus And the only way we can do that is by studying your Bible because this is where we find the stories of Jesus. And today we're going to see that Jesus was, yes, kind and caring and quiet and compassionate to the weak, the shamed and the sinner, but he was bold and courageous and filled with confidence when he protected the weak from those who would take advantage of them. I pray, God, that you would give us a clear image, a true understanding of the lion of the tribe of Judah in the power that he had, the boldness, the courage, and the confidence that he showed in these next three weeks. I pray that you would show us this, us to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever witnessed an injustice taking place right in front of you? For example, have you ever been driving down the road and all of a sudden somebody just swerves in front of you, cuts you off? Say, yes, pastor, that was you. That was you who did that to me. And I know I did. This is what I do. This is part of my reputation. Or have you ever been in line at a bank or at a coffee shop and somebody just, you know, because they're more important than everybody else, they just jump in line they cut everybody else and they give their order. You ever see this? And this, this sense of injustice Sitted inside of your soul begins to come out. Boldness is what it's called. Or perhaps in your life, you saw, could you imagine seeing you're walking down the road and there's a homeless man and he's blind and he holds out a bowl and inside of the bowl, there's a few dollar bills and somebody comes by and drops a coin and somebody else comes and drops a dollar and then somebody else comes by dressed very well in a nice three-piece suit, and he grabs three or four dollars out and walks and puts it in his pocket. What would you do? What does that do to you? Or you're walking through the Walmart parking lot, and all of a sudden you hear a child scream, and after you hear the child scream, you turn around and you notice there's a man hovering over the child, and he slaps the child again, and the child falls to the ground, the four or five-year-old falls to the ground. What does that do to you? There is built inside of you by your Creator a sense of justice that demands somebody stand up for the weak. And when that justice comes out, that confidence and security to protect those around them, it's called boldness. And that's the picture of Jesus we arrive at in Luke chapter 13. If you're new to the church, we've been making our way through the gospel of Luke chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And when we arrive in chapter 13, chapter 13 is a hinge point for the book of Luke. That which was behind is Galilee and the ministries in the rural areas. Now Jesus has steadfastly set his mind toward Jerusalem. He's on his way to boldly die for the sins of mankind. And in chapter 13, Jesus gets very bold with his followers, his friends, and his enemies. The boldness of Jesus, though, highlights his love. With whom is Jesus bold in chapter 13? We're gonna see three individuals first as we walk through this passage. The first individuals that we see Jesus is bold with is number one, number one, the first point of the sermon today, Jesus is bold with the self-righteous. Number one, Jesus is bold with the self-righteous. Say that with me, will you? Jesus is bold with the self-righteous. Say it again, say it again. Jesus is bold with the self-righteous. Jesus has no problem boldly confronting those who think of themselves as better than everybody else. that's what he does in verse one through five. Ooh, look at this fascinating passage. There were present at that season some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Verse two, and Jesus answered and said unto them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Let me walk you through what's happening. This is a fascinating interchangeable uh, 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 conversation that takes place, the dialogue here. Jesus is leading a large multitude of people. And of the diverse multitude of people, there is a group of now leaders in the community, religious leaders who are following Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want your opinion about a news article that we just became aware of. You heard about those Galileans who Pilate killed whenever they were just trying to offer sacrifice? You heard about the fact that they were slaughtered and killed and Jesus said, yes. And then Jesus says something very odd. He says, yeah, I did. Do you think they were worse sinners than you because they died? I tell you, unless you repent, you're gonna die just like they did. Well, to understand the passage, we have to understand the history. During this time, Pilate was a prefect, a Roman person who was put in charge of the region. It'd be like saying our city was taken over by a foreign country and that foreign country put a person in charge of the city, right? And now that person really works for Rome, but they kind of are in charge of us. That's who Pilate was. And Pilate was in charge of infrastructure. And what Luke chapter 13 is referencing was that um, the Roman, uh, the, the Jewish temple needed water and the surrounding region. It needed a new aqueduct. And the Romans were really good at building aqueducts, bringing fresh water into urban places. This is what they did. And so when it came time to actually pay for this, what Pilate decided to do was not pay for it out of the Roman coffers because from his perspective, all of these people were gonna be the beneficiaries of this fresh water. He actually went into the temple and stole money from the temple coffers to pay for this Roman aqueduct. So from his perspective, well, the water's from the, for the people, so the people should pay for it. But from The people's perspective, you took God's money out of God's temple. And so there was this big fight, this big political argument. Aren't you thankful you live in a society without any political conflict? Amen, isn't that nice? I don't know what that would be like. And so, because these people were upset with the government, they did what people do when you're upset with the government. What do people do when they're upset with the government? What do you do? Riot. No, well not riot, uh, (laughs) sir, thank you. We begin somewhere else, but this man is very bold. (laughs) Actually, we don't begin with riot, we begin with protests. And so that's exactly what they did. Uh, I'm going to ask our ushers to keep an eye on him. Thank you. (laughs) So they began with protests. And so all the people were really upset. So they all went out and they're holding signs. Can you imagine? Down with Pilate, we hate Rome. This is big protest is going on. The problem is Rome would not allow you to protest. They were a very dangerous empire. And so what Pilate decided to do was take all of his soldiers, dress them up in civilian clothing and pretend they were protesters too. And underneath all of their robes, they were told to carry daggers. And they went out among the protesters, and as people would protest, they would stab people. And hundreds died. And so what Pilate did was he mingled the blood of those who are ready to sacrifice to God around the temple and disbanded the protest. So they wanted Jesus' opinion. Who were the people that were upset about this? Everybody was upset about it. They should be upset about it. That was an abuse of power. But who was most upset about it? Well, obviously those who led the temple, the religious elite, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, those who from a religious perspective looked down on everybody else. Those who were known in their society to constantly also abuse their power. And they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you heard about how Pilate took all of those people and killed them. He abused his power, what do you say? Jesus says, do you think you're better than them? Are they worse sinners than your sinners? I say to you of truth, if you don't repent of your sin, You're gonna die just like them. Why does Jesus answer so harshly? Because of who was asking the question? Jesus, is Pilate gonna get away with abusing his power? Jesus says, nobody's gonna get away with abusing their power, guy, nobody. It's it's called hypocrisy and Jesus is bold with the self-righteous. Hypocrisy is not something any of us enjoy. Imagine, imagine a friend shows up at your house at midnight. And you're like, what is going, You open. How many of you live in a neighborhood with an HOA? How many of you have an HOA? Raise your hand, God bless you. Yeah, me too. It's so much fun. <laughs> because they're always there for you, you know, always there. Just always, always, always there, always there. And uh, imagine somebody who arrives at your house at midnight and they knock on the door, you open up, you're like, oh, I didn't know you were coming. They're like, we're just passing through, we're RVing. You're like, RVing, that's awesome. Yeah, I know, it's like midnight. We're only gonna be here for a few hours. Can we park in front of your house for the night? And you're like, oh. And you're thinking about the HOA person and you're realizing that person is watching. They're probably awake right now. They're looking out. You're like, well, it's midnight. You're only going to be here. Like, when are you leaving? Oh, like 6 a.m.? Okay, six hours. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? So you break a little law, right? You're like, yeah, just stay. Yes, No big deal. Stay. You go to sleep. You wake up at 6, grab them coffee, wave them on. And as you they're waved on, you see your neighbor across the street walk out. Now this is bad enough, but you also notice that your neighbor who's taking track of this has a giant boat in front of her house that has been there for six months. There are weeds coming around her entire yard. I don't know why, you're, why, she's, why, why it's a her. I apologize, just in my mind, that's what's going on, right? <laughs> Do you know what her name is? I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I love you, sister. All right. And she's got all these weeds, she's got this boat, she got, and she's the one who's gonna testify against you. But when you get to the HOA meeting, you get a letter in the mail that says show up, you show up and you're like, yes, there was an RV person. And then there's all this, this council and on the council itself is the woman who is turning you in, even though her home is worse than yours. And inside of you, there's a sense of injustice that's rising up at, why, why? because hypocrisy. That's who the Pharisees were. They were those who were constantly trying to make sure everybody follows their little laws, the outside laws, while they inside are destroying themselves through breaking God's inside laws, the heart laws. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you want God to take care of this? You want God to judge injustice? You want God to do this? Absolutely, God will punish all abuses of power. And then he brings up another story in verses four and five. And this is again, the pool of Siloam. This is right beside the temple itself. These would have been very religious people who lived right there. Look what he says is in verses four and five. He says in verses four and five, or those 18 who who, who in the tower of Siloam fell and killed. Do you think that they were worse than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I say no, but unless you repent, you'll be likewise perishing. See, there was a building project outside of the temple and this tower must've fallen and 18 people died and everybody was talking, walking around saying, well, I mean, you know, you, you get what happens to you. And Jesus was saying, you really think they were worse sinners than you? Now, before we start looking at the Pharisees and think about how wicked they were, realize by thinking about how wicked they are reveals how judgmental you are. And I am. And Jesus's point is this. When you're dealing with the self-righteous, when you're dealing with the religious elite, you need to confront them with boldness. That's what Jesus does. Now, why does Jesus do this? Why does he do it? Does Jesus always boldly confront everybody he comes across? Or does Jesus have different methods for different people? Actually, I find that Jesus has different methods for different people. For example, for some people, he calls them softly and gently to himself. Like the woman taken in adultery. Do you remember this woman was in trouble? She was about to be stoned to death because she lived in a religious society who didn't like her sexual behavior. And so Jesus reaches down and says to her, God loves you. You need to repent of your sin and go and sin no more and you'll be saved. He was gentle, compassionate and kind and caring. But the same Jesus who was gentle, compassionate, kind, and caring, when he wanted to address a Pharisee like Saul, who eventually became Paul, what does he do with Saul? Is he gentle, compassionate, kind, and caring? No, he confronts him by kicking him off his horse and shining a light and making him blind. And then he looks at Saul and says, why are you kicking against me? And he's like, who are you? I'm Jesus, who you're kicking against. So Jesus is kind, calm, compassionate, caring to those who are shameful and sinful and know they don't deserve God's grace. But those who are self-righteous, who believe themselves better than anybody else, Jesus also loves you. He cares about you. And he realizes the only way he's gonna save you is to break through your nasty, hard heart, boldly confront you and say, you're no better than anybody else. Isn't Jesus amazing? And so what we see in this passage, first and foremost, is that Jesus is bold, number one, with the self-righteous. I'm gonna say number one, you say bold with the self-righteous. Number one, he is bold with the self-righteous. Number two, he is bold with the nationalist. I have found that those who bluster and boast the biggest are those who appreciate boldness the least. I'll say it again. Have you noticed this in your life? That those who bluster and boast the biggest are those who really appreciate boldness the least. Those people in your life that really just love to tell people what it, how it is. When you tell how it is to them, they really don't like it. When somebody's like, I just like to speak my mind and you speak your mind to them, ooh, they don't like it. You find that to be true? I have found this to be true, so I have very little patience with those kind of boastful blowguards, right? I, I was I was sitting in a um, airport uh, by myself, uh, flying back to the United States from uh, from uh, Costa Rica, um, and as I was sitting there, I had a lot going on. I was very very busy. So I'm, I'm, I'm writing some stuff, I'm doing emails, I'm trying to catch up with a bunch of work because I'd taken some days off and I'm doing all this stuff that I need to do. And I had my earbuds in. Now, for those of you who don't know, when somebody's earbuds are in their ear, it's a social cue to leave them alone. Like that's what you're supposed to do, right? But some people don't know that, that's why I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. <laughs> And I know what some of you think. You're like, oh, Josh, man, you're the most friendly person in the world. I'm friendly because I'm your pastor and I love you and that's what I'm supposed to be here. But out there, I'm not nice. <laughs> it's true, I'm not. I, I don't like walk through the airport like, hey, everybody, let's talk about Jesus. I'm like, headphones on, hoodie up, go. Like, <laughs> I don't wanna talk to, I don't, I'm just, I, I'm not saying it's good, I'm just telling you who I am. <laughs> and, and that's what I was in. I was in that mode, I was like, just like getting work done. And this guy was sitting beside me two seats over and he looked over and he's like, I hate going back. I hate going back. That's what he said. And I looked over and as soon as I looked over, I thought, oh, I should not have looked over. (laughs) He said, you hear me? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I hate going back. I hate going back, bro. And I, I removed it, you know, I, I tried to remove it like sarcastically, you know, like, but he didn't, he wasn't picking up on any of the social cues. He said, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I, I said, I don't know what you mean, sir. And he said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an expat. And you know what an expat is? An expat is somebody who is an expatriate. That means they used to live in the United States. They love America, but they love it so much they left, right? So they're, they're an expat. <laughs> They live in other countries and they often complain about what's still happening here for those of us who still live here. And so here he is, some of you are watching, I love you. This is the recorded service. I know expats that watch, I love you. All right, call me, email Fred. Okay, now, he looks at me and he's like, you know, I I used to live in America. I can't go back, I hate going back now, but I gotta go back to do my taxes. Once a year, I hate it. And I'm like, okay. He said, you know why I hate it? And I said, I thought I did not ask. He said, Every, everything's too PC there. Politically correct. You know what PC means? Yeah, yeah, I know. You can't say anything there anymore. Here, you can say anything you want. You can't say anything. Everything's changed. Everybody gets offended. And then he said, Every, everybody's a snowflake. <laughs> I'm like, a snowflake. It's like, everybody, there's a snowflake. Everybody offended about everything. That's why I like it here. And I'm like, okay. Thank you for the information, you know <laughs> And I went to put it back in and now they're back in. And then he interrupts again. He said, I gotta tell you, I just hate how America's turned out. And, and at this point, I'm just, I'm just done, you know? So I pulled the earbud out and I said, sir, I said, you seem to be the type of man who likes it when people shoot straight with you. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I do. Darn shooting. He did not say darn shooting. <laughs> said something else. And I said, "Well, that's very good to know." So let me shoot straight with you. I'm very busy, and I'm not interested in talking to you at all. And I put my earbud back in. You should. You should have seen his face. He, I mean, you could. Imagine, he, he melted like a snowflake right there in front of me. He just offended. He's like, ah, ah, ah. and then he said this. He said. Well, I guess I'll just talk about you later on behind your back. And I said, I said out loud, I said, I'll be telling a story about you to some friends. (laughs) Here's what I've noticed. Those who are really thinking of themselves as the most bold tend to be, tend to hate it when somebody is bold with them. They tend to hate it. But the only way, through, only way to get through to somebody like that is to be bold right back sometimes. And that's what Jesus is doing because he loves even the Pharisee. And one of the biggest problems with the religious leadership of that era was that the thing they cared about the most, more than they cared about anything, they cared about their nation. We know this because the religious leadership is said of that over and over in the scripture. Over and over in the scripture, it says of the leaders of Israel during that time was they rejected Jesus and his kingdom because they did not wanna lose their kingdom. Nationalism. Now, before some of you get too offended, I gotta be really clear. I am an American patriot. I am not an American nationalist. You say, isn't that the same thing? No, I I used to think so too until I did a little research. In fact, I'm a patriot so much, I'm preaching out of the American Patriots Bible right now. (laughs) I like this one. My friend Leon gave me this book, gave me this one. This is a great, I'm a patriot. You know what a patriot is? A patriot by definition is a person who vigorously supports their country and is prepared to defend it against enemies. That's who I am. I love my country. I support my country. I'm an American. You cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. Can I get an amen right there? Man, I love this country. And I, and I will fight to defend this country. But a nationalist, on the other hand, is a person who vigorously supports their country and its interests, especially in exclusion or detriment to the interests of other nations. The difference is, one supports their nation so much because, uh, to the point where they don't care if other nations fall. That's a nationalist. And that's exactly who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were so much about their kingdom, they could care less about other kingdoms and they couldn't even care about, care about Jesus's kingdom. Do you know where I see a lot of Americans going if we're not careful? Some of us as Christians pray more for the nation of the United States than we pray for the kingdom of God. That's dangerous. And so Jesus gives an amazing little story to illustrate this fact. It's really offensive. So if you are a snowflake, you won't like this story. Look at what it says in verses six through nine. So Jesus spoke a parable unto them about nationalism. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look for three years, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find no figs, cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But the farmer answered back and said to the owner, sir, let it alone for this year And I will dig around it and I'll fertilize it and maybe it'll bear fruit. And if it does bear fruit, fantastic. But if it doesn't bear fruit, then I will cut it down. End of story. So Jesus, while he's interacting with all these religious political leaders that are really focused on their nation, tells a story about a fig tree. Why does he tell a story about a fig tree? Here's why. Because the fig tree was a national symbol for Israel during this time. It'd be like if I told you last night I had a vision and in my vision, I was looking over a beautiful lake and a beautiful bald eagle was swooping over the lake and then a lightning bolt from God killed the eagle. You'd be like, that's not a good sign. When the New Testament speaks of a fig tree being cursed or dying, it's Jesus' way of saying Israel is going to be cursed and will die. It was a very offensive story to tell. And so Jesus said, there's a guy who owns this fig tree. Fig tree's not producing fruit. He's been waiting for three years for it to produce fruit. It's not producing fruit. So the farmer's like, give it one more year. And then if it doesn't, we'll get rid of it. You know what Jesus had been doing at this point for his life? Jesus, since the age of 30 years old, had been walking around Galilee, Perea, Judea, Jerusalem, preaching the kingdom of God. At this point, do you know how long he's been doing this? For three years. And he's telling them, I'm gonna give you one more year to either reject me or receive me. And if you reject me, Israel, we are rooting up the olive tr- uh, the, the fig tree and we are throwing it away. Wow. if you were a nationalist, you'd be deeply offended. Can I just say this? God cares less about your nation and much more about his kingdom. I love America, but my care for America only goes to the point that America keeps advancing the kingdom of Christ. The moment it does it, we can throw it into the dustbin of history like all the other nations. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pointing out this such important truth. By the way, the story is open-ended. It doesn't tell us what happens to the fig tree, at least at the point when Jesus told it. The point is not what happens to the fig tree. The point is what does happen to me? Let me ask you a question. God's been working in your life for years now. Are you producing fruit? have you received Jesus as your Messiah? Have you been more focused on your kingdom? Have you been building your little sandcastle? And then God comes in and says, no, I don't want that to be your life. And he tries to mess it up so that you get on the right path and you fight against God when God's saying, I love you, but don't be self-righteous. Don't be so focused on your nation, your world, your business, your home. I want you to follow me. One of the ways that God changes our world is through the gracious destruction of your own agenda. He cuts down your kingdom so that you can be planted into his. Maybe that's what God has been going through with you right now. And that's why he's been so bold with you. But with whom Jesus is bold, his boldness. Jesus is highlighting his love and he's bold with the self-righteous. He's bold with the nationalist. And then number three, Jesus is bold with compassion. He's bold with compassion. I'm gonna say number three, you say bold with compassion. Number three, bold with compassion. Say it again, say it again. Number three, he is bold with compassion. Now we see that Jesus is not only bold with those he needs to fight against, he's bold with those he needs to follow him. Look what he says in verse 10. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on a Sabbath. Just like I'm doing on a Sunday to a church, he was doing to a synagogue on a Saturday. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no ways raise herself. But when Jesus saw her, can you picture it? In your mind's eye, can you go to that synagogue where Jesus is in the midst of his sermon? And as Jesus is explaining who he is and why he came, the back curtain opens up and a woman walks in. And it's an elderly woman and she's bent over. She can barely stand. Have you seen them? And she walks in and a few gentlemen, they, they, they move themselves over on each side and she comes in and says, thank you and thank you. And, and she sits to hear Jesus teach and she sits like this. And Jesus stops his sermon and he calls her, come here. Now, if I was there, I've been really like nervous, also offended with Jesus. You're gonna ask her to get up and like in front of everybody? Oh my word. He calls her to stand up and stand in front of everybody and there she is standing. It takes such boldness to come to Jesus when Jesus calls. And I just gotta applaud you because a lot of you in this room, just in the last year, Jesus called you to salvation and you with boldness followed Jesus. No matter what your past was, no matter what your background was, very religious, irreligious, many of you took advantage and said, Hey, I want to go talk with Pastor. I'm going to go meet with him and we'll go grab some coffee and I want to hear about the gospel. I want to repent and receive Christ as my Savior. I want to be born again. And it was bold for you to step forward. It's bold to not turn around and just go to your car and go home if you need to be saved. It's bold to come and say, I need prayer with the deacon or I need to talk with the pastor about salvation or I need to be baptized. It takes boldness to step out and go where Jesus is calling you. So congratulations to those who have that boldness and to those who are still working on that boldness, I would say, be bold and follow Jesus. And so she's walking in and she sits down and Jesus says, come to me and she stands up and follows Jesus. And look what it says in the passage. I love the compassion of Jesus here. He called her to him and said to her, woman, You are loosed from your infirmity. Now notice the words loosed. As if she was bound up, as if she was tied up, as if a rope had held her back. She could not stand up because she was tied to this wickedness, this hurt, this illness inside of her. And Jesus laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. Now, okay, Like if you had a chance to be there, how many of you would just love to see a miracle of Jesus like that in real life, right? Like how amazing, like if I'm sitting there, I'd be like, oh, did somebody record that? You know what I mean? Like that's incredible. And you would think that everybody would be excited and everybody would celebrate. But let me ask you this, you've lived long enough. When Jesus does a miracle, does everybody celebrate, yes or no? Now, there are some who don't like it. There are family who will not like the miracles God does in your life. There are friends that will not like it. There are other churches that will look at a church like ours and hate what's going on here. It's amazing to know that Jesus will do miracles in the people's lives. And there are some self-righteous, better than everybody else who have to question whether or not it's a true miracle. We like to sit back and wait and watch. And that's exactly what the ruler of the synagogue did. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. He was angry. He was upset because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, this is so ridiculous. It's hilarious. It, It really is so sad. It's funny. The ruler of the synagogue, the guy in charge, like the senior pastor of the room, he gets up after this and says, whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't even say congratulations to the woman. He says, whoa, stop. There are six days in which men ought to work. Go on. Therefore, come and be healed, from, uh, healed on them, not on the Sabbath day. So this was his response. His response was, by quoting scripture, I'm going to prove that Jesus is wrong. You know, you're in a bad situation when you're ignoring Jesus, but you're in a worse situation by quoting scripture to ignore the miracles of Jesus. So he says to Jesus, he actually quotes one of the Ten Commandments, Uh, Six days thou shalt labor. He's saying to God not to break God's law. And so then he looks at the crowd and says, if you want to be healed by Jesus, come back on Monday. Like what? (laughs) What a weirdo, man. And so Jesus is angry about this. Jesus is upset. And the Lord answered and said unto him, look at what he says, said unto him, hypocrite. He calls them a hypocrite in front of his own congregation. That's boldness. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day, loose an ox or a donkey, let loose the bound up donkey, the bound up ox? Do you not let them loose? That one is tied to a fence. You let them loose even on the Sabbath day and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years. Shall she not be loosed from the bond on the Sabbath? So he calls him out on his hypocrisy. And when he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. And the multitude rejoiced in the glorious things that God had done by Jesus What I absolutely love is that Jesus's boldness is not based in his own frustration and anger. Some of you are going to take away the wrong message from the sermon. you would going to be like, "I'm going to get more bold with people that kick me off." <laughs> like Jesus. Jesus's boldness was based upon a love to protect those who were being hurt. And his boldness was based upon a love for the Pharisee who when he was bold, he might crack and get saved. When do you use your boldness? How do we use our boldness? So was Jesus being mean here? No, he was being bold. We don't know what happens to this man, but I will tell you this, just as the donkey was bound to the post and just like this woman was bound to her illness, this Pharisee was bound to his self-righteous, religious, legalistic heart. And Jesus wanted him to be freed too. So you're here today, friend. I ain't angry at any of you. If you're a sinner filled with shame, somebody who's been really bound to sin and bent over by it for a long time, I want to represent Jesus here and say, come, you're welcome here. And we will calmly and gently show you how you can be saved. If you're struggling with pride and self-righteousness, kind of like, I think I am better than everybody else. Can I be saved? We're gonna be bold and confront you and say, yes, you can be saved. But first you gotta get off your high horse and quit thinking you're better than everybody else because you're just a nasty jerk like everybody, amen. (laughs) And if that ticks you off, good. Because the only way to get through to some people is boldness, the only way to get through to other people is quiet. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I'm thankful that you have been bold in my life. Jesus, you know better than any of these people. I have been shameful, sinful, and I've needed your quiet, calm compassion to come to rescue me. But I have also been the self-righteous jerk of a Pharisee. And I've needed you to boldly confront that pride in my life. So I want to thank you for being both to me. And I pray that you would be both to my friends as we study this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.